Hey friends, welcome back to the podcast with me, Jonathan Puddle. This is episode 102. This week I've got a brand new piece of content for you that will be coming out each week. It is called the Podcast B-Side. Each week I'm going to sit down with a friend of mine virtually or in person someday soon. Lord, let it be. And we are going to discuss the topics and themes from the most recent episode in greater detail. We're also going to, uh, well, I'll, I'll share some behind-the-scenes stuff, things about how the interview came about, and uh, you know, maybe some bloopers and, and glitches. It's a, a raw, uncut conversation, and uh, it's going to be fun. So this week is the very first one. My friend Chris, who is a longtime friend of mine, uh, he used to board with us, lived with us for a year. He lives just around the corner, actually, and we jumped on Zoom last week. He had listened to the panel on Jesus and Trauma, episode 100 and 101 for the second part, and he was really impacted by it. So we had a beautiful discussion all around the things that stood out to him and how uh, it could change our church life if we were to do church around raw, vulnerable conversations like, like we had on that panel. Now, this episode of The B-Side is available publicly, of course, here on the podcast. But going forward, The B-Sides are going to be available exclusively to my Patreon supporters. So if you enjoyed this and you want to keep listening to it, then you need to go over to patreon.com slash Jonathan Puddle and join up. You can become a patron for $3 a month or $32 a year. You'll gain access to The B-Sides, of course, as well as other exclusive supporter-only information that I've put out, digital copies of books. I've released, uh, all kinds of other bits and pieces. So I hope you enjoy the very first podcast B-side and head over to patreon.com slash Jonathan Puddle to keep going. Well, welcome to the very first ever podcast B-side. Uh, Chris, my friend, uh, thank you for joining me this morning. Say welcome. hello. I, Chris and I have been talking about doing this for a while. Chris actually uh, boarded with us for about a year, uh, like, I don't know, a year ago or eight months ago or sometime, and just pre-COVID, I guess. And so we uh, would often just discuss who people had had on the show and episodes. Chris is also probably one of my most loyal listeners. Chris and my mom. Way <laughs> to go. And so i had been thinking of doing B-sides for a while and having kind of like a behind the scenes conversation. So this very first one, uh, we obviously are making available to everybody. It's going to be on the podcast proper. You'll all get to listen in. And then from now on, the B-sides will be just to my Patreon supporters. So if you want to join in on that, $3 a month, we'll get you in the door, patreon.com slash Jonathan Puddle. Well, this has been a wild ride getting to episode 100, as you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, rolling the clock back, even just a couple of weeks, when I got to 99, I was so exhausted and had like nothing planned. And Chris and I went for a walk in the neighborhood, socially distanced. And he's like, so what are you going to do for 99? And I'm like, man, I, I'm tired right now. He's like, you should definitely do highlights, like highlights of looking back. And I'm like, well, I had thought about that. Thanks to peer pressure, <laughs> I will. <laughs> so you can all thank Chris for episode 99. And then, uh, and then a hundred, you know, we had record, I'd recorded with the panel back in December and, and I actually, you know, this, but, but, and the panelists heard this cause I told them, but it didn't make it into the episode, but I, I've been having like a month of panic attacks and just straight up anxiety. And that day, I think it was December 10th that we recorded was just like, just terrible. I, I was I was on something like day 11 straight of just brutal ongoing anxiety. Mm. Um, and so, I, you know, off air, we all kind of like, so good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? And basically everybody just laid out their various levels of suffering. <laughs> and so even before we really got into it, there was already this vulnerability, you know, which you hear very quickly. Mm. And then, and then yeah. Paul, you know, I mean, obviously Allison opens it up with a really great kind of, opening in terms of how God relates to us and our, our parts and all that kind of stuff. And then, and then Paul just like takes it down a whole level into painful, honest vulnerability. And from then on, it's all just like, off we go. Yeah, <laughs> totally. The depth of vulnerability straight away was shocking. Like I was listening to it. I was listening to it while I was commuting and 
I was like very mindful of my environment and my scenario <laughs> because of how like how I wanted to react internally by hearing people share. Mm -hmm. You said you texted me and you said it was one of the most impactful conversations you've ever listened to. Yeah, one hundred percent. What um what were some of the things that stood out to you or 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 like why why was it so impactful? I think the the realization of how how someone who's experienced any level of trauma, how you then relate back to Jesus as mm -hmm. a person, and then how you relate back to the church. I put two and two church and Jesus together coinciding, like they're the same thing and the same one historically growing up. And wow. so, so hearing people relating to Jesus as a person and sharing the the depth of relationship that and healing that Jesus can bring them but at the, at the same time talking about the like the most tenacious place to actually be in some of those moments is in fact the church which for me was my employer for 10 years of my life yeah was a hard hitting gut wrenching uh moment sure and and I think as well, just like, just from the content and the, the, the people that you had on the, the podcast for the episode 100, it made me feel like this is the best sermon I've heard potentially ever. Um, and how come this can't be like, how come life can't be more like this? Mm -hmm. There's a sense of the camaraderie that you, the, the four of you had, uh, five of you had, and it was one of those things where I was like, this is impactful. Yeah. This, this isn't someone telling you what to do. This is someone living out of vulnerability, living out of openness and sharing where they're at along the journey. And to me, that was like, that was powerful. Yeah. That made me feel like, okay, this is important. Not because someone's lecturing me or exegeting scripture and telling me, here's what scripture is telling you to believe in this moment or what to do or how to act. This is people living out scripture and being vulnerable and making it about them and not about others. Mm, yeah. Right. For sure. For sure. Yeah. That was very apparent. Even as the conversation was unfolding and I'm trying to ask the questions and steward the conversation, but also just to let it, let it be, it was, you can get a hint of this in the, in the audio, obviously, as, as you heard, but even watching the people's faces was that much more mm -hmm. because every one of them was scribbling down notes. Every one of them was listening to the other person and treating them with the utmost respect and dignity. Mm. And I, I've, I've debriefed with, with a couple of the folks afterwards, you know, and some of them for, for them, it was, it was a very, uh, I don't know what the best word is, maybe healing, but it was impactful for every Ooh. one of them to. Okay. So uh, Paul and Jerome know one another. Yeah. But everybody else was new to everybody else. Mm -hmm. So Allison didn't know anyone. Amita didn't know anybody. And, you know, when, whenever Paul turns up, s some people have a measure of like, oh, okay, there's a, a little bit of celebrity here. Mm -hmm. Um. But then I, but then I know some, some, uh, like I've, like for example, Christina Cleveland doesn't like that Paul used put God, Mama in as a Papa and as a black woman in the mm -hmm. shack. She felt that for a white guy to do that is just another kind of power flex for a white man. But yeah. it's, but it's different for a black person to envision God as themselves, right? Yeah. Which Amita said, right? She's like, she's like, I, I'm not even allowed to worship the masters, Jesus, let alone, I mean, yeah. that's a slight paraphrase, but basically that's what she was saying. I'm not yeah. even allowed to worship the masters, Jesus, let alone envision Jesus who's intrinsic to my identity. Mm -hmm. so, so Paul brings it, some of that in, right? And, and so I never know exactly how people are going to react to him, but, but I also know that he's like love embodied. Yeah. And, like, and if you ever meet him, it's like, it's just like, 
just like butter. <laughs> He's just a wonderful soul. So, so it was fascinating to me to observe the way each of these people were just treating each other with such dignity. You know, and they're dropping these these mic drops, bam, 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 and and then there's just silence because they're they're reeling, and they're they're absorbing what the other people have said, and they're grabbing their notebooks and they're writing it down. I trimmed out most of that silence for the podcast. But even when I was talking to Maya last night, she's like, yeah, it was actually difficult to listen to because it's like drinking from a fire hose and you're, you're, you're tempted to hit, you know, you kind of want to hit pause after each person's little bit. Mm-hmm. We just roll on in this kind of relentless conversation. But she said, everything that's being said is like, actually, let's just stop and digest that. So during the, in the live panel, people were stopping to digest what one another were saying. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, when you texted me that about church too, I was really like, imagine if this was the way we did church. Imagine if this was the way that we did teaching. Yeah. It wasn't just a cerebral talking head, but that it was an experiential conversation where we received wisdom. Yes. But we also received encounter where we received you talking and me listening to you and me mm-hmm. mo- modeling to the room how to listen and how to take into my heart and my guts that maybe painful, vulnerable, honest things you just said. Man, sign me up for that church. <laughs> Seriously. Well, it, it, it brought that thing in as like, because I was like, well, the easy answer is just do a panel. But I'm like, but panels suck. When they almost it, always suck. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> like when you do a panel, it's just different people effectively reciting the same thing in their own words. Or, or yeah, or just trying to get in their their 10 cents to be as yes. wise as everyone else. And I'm like, that's not what this is. And I was like, and I think you nailed it on the head when you said it was the listening aspect as well. Like it's the, it's when, when Paul says something, people are listening and then asking questions to then, can you clarify this? Can you say this? What, what do you think it like? They're asking each other's opinion. So there's no ego involved. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and I think that was the most beautiful thing about it was that there was, there wasn't an ego of someone trying to be a dominant personality in the conversation, but it was literally just like people genuinely trying to learn from one another and if that means that others can benefit from it, so be it. Totally. And I'm like, right. that's, that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> totally. It was intense. Re- recording the panel was grueling. I had done a lot of prep, obviously, to try to get. I'd wanted to land questions for everybody that would really tease out kind of like their essence and some of the, the yeah. best things that they had to offer. Um Excuse me, but also then like uh, Amita, Amita, I'd only met the day before. And so I was like kind of quickly doing a deep dive into her content and she's not, she's not a huge online presence. So I found a few, she'd been on a couple of panels before and, and mm-hmm. read some of her stuff. And, and the, the Linda, you know, who, who suggested Amita had been like, yeah, yeah. And she'd given me, we'd had a little conversation and she'd been explained Amita to me. So I was kind of like, all right, I, this is good. I think I think she's going to be wonderful, and I'm, I'm yeah. thrilled. I, I I could not have been more <laughs> blessed with her presence on the panel. It was yeah. wonderful. Um, and she said to me afterwards, she said, "I'm I'm I'm impressed that with so little time, you were able to needle me with kind of like a question and and then a provocative ish subject matter that so perfectly." brought her interests together and i was like Mm -hmm. well that's praise god because i had no (laughs) clue if that was gonna work or not um i want to come back to the second part maybe maybe a little later in our conversation but just in terms of the the chronology the chronology as we recorded when i brought up that thing about forgiveness the the rest of the podcast for me was a disaster. I, I I felt like attacked. I felt like I was just being like slapped around. 
and it was so funny because I was having to, I was, I was trying to remember everything that Jerome had just said mm-hmm. about perception versus reality. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm listening to my body and I'm like, okay, Jonathan, right now, I feel like I'm under attack. I feel like I said something and everybody heard it not the way I intended. And now they are all responding to it. And I feel attacked. And like, I feel like I'm under assault. So what did Jerome just say? Is my life threatened or is my way of life threatened? Well, (laughs) certainly my life is not threatened. It's possible that my ego feels threatened. (laughs) Okay. Um, And I I remember I was just, I spent the rest of the conversation kind of just trying to like dial down my chaos internally and and lean into the wisdom that had just been offered. Like, we're going to be bad at this until we're not. We're going to stumble and it's going to feel uncomfortable until we're good at it. This whole journey is just a series of controlled falls. Yeah. And I'm trying to be like, okay, that's right, 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 right. But I obviously on camera, some of that came through. I'd <laughs> muted myself and I'm breathing and I'm trying to center myself and I'm trying to not make anything about me because I'm also, I'm also cognizant that like the content in the second half is almost, it's as, as good as the first half. Yeah. And so everything that's being said is amazing. And I'm just trying to calm myself. And Jerome is writing in the Zoom text, just breathe, just breathe. <laughs> You're doing great. This is so good. This is amazing. Drink a glass of water. Take a deep breath. You're fine. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so even, even just like, I'm like, thanks, buddy. I needed that so much. Like Jerome's an Enneagram too. And so he knows like Jonathan just tried to be helpful. That's all he's trying to do here. Yeah. And I can see he's stressing out. And I know he's having panic attacks every day. Right. And so so I'm in that space. And Jerome's like talking me off the edge. And then at the same time, you know, we've got Paul Young sitting there having this weird episode in his body, right? Which hmm. which had, as as he said, this effect that he actually loves where he can no longer compartmentalize his emotions. Mm-hmm. And so like half of us on the panel are, are just wrecked. <laughs> like we're crying. We're trying to keep our shit together. And, yeah. And it, I think it all just contributed to this really gentle, delicate, special thing. Yeah. And I don't, it, I don't know how repeatable that will be. I have no idea. I, I'm intrigued. Allison said, let's do this whole, let's do all of us again. Mm-hmm. Um, so who knows? But Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting when, like, now I w- I would say the people that were like the panel itself, like if anyone was ever going to not communicate clearly what they are wanting to communicate, those are the people to do it in front of, <laughs> just because of their hearts, yeah. um, like and and how they were even support, like they're completely supportive of you throughout the whole, like everything about it was awesome. Uh, but when you talk about creating a safe environment in a safe place, like to me, that was something that stood out. It was just like, oh, there was just like love for one another in that moment. And I was just like, that is not like most environments do not create that safety. Yeah. And I was like, and unfortunately, that also echoes a church setting as well, that a corporate church setting does not create an environment where there's that same safety that you experience in that moment going through stuff no i mean not not for the preacher nor for worship people nor for even for the necessarily for the congregation yeah and it's it made it just made me think i was just like i was like oh wow like this is just this is insane and i'm like are we creating environments that how do i word it (laughs) i'm like are we creating environments for vulnerability and openness and freedom uh in a corporate church sense or mm. are we creating environments for something else yeah and and it just it just made me think and it just made me think about i was just like 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 even the 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 content of uh when we start looking at 
where was it the oh when paul young was saying that we're we're not snow covered dung we're we're uh dung covered diamonds yeah. <laughs> and i was just like totally true like the whole like context mindset of 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 who we are and our identity in christ and that we are the perpetuation of we are victims mm. and Christ is our savior, obviously, but, but in order for him to be a savior, I have to be a victim. Yes. And, and I was, just, it just makes me think like it, it hit me hard, like episode 100, episode 101, like those, like the, both those episodes hit me in a way that drove home introspective, personal, okay, what's going on in my heart right now? How am I responding to this? Like, mm. God, what are you trying to do in my heart? What are you trying to reveal? Like a part of me, like for episode 101, I'm just like, the second part, I'm like, okay, Holy Spirit, like this was made for me right now in this moment. Like mm. Jonathan did this entire episode just for me <laughs> because I need this. Mm. And then it also, I was just like, I'm getting convicted by like the presence of God being like, I've been complicit. I've not created safe environments for people to communicate their whole story as Amita was talking about. Like mm. I've been complicit in like, in, in effect, in covering up. And I was like, Oh, I, I never wanted to say that out loud, but I'm like, yeah, of course I have. Yeah. And I'm like, that's hard. And it was hard for me to hear it. But in one sense, I'm like, it, it brought me the opportunity to then go to God with it. Like I've been a part of this. I've done this. And it just makes me think, I'm just like, are we actually creating environments which, which actually result in, in vulnerability and forgiveness and even the reconciliation? Um, but I loved how forgiveness and reconciliation in, like, in the discussion were not like you forgive and then you reconcile. Like it wasn't a, a, a both and. Oh, yeah. No. And I'm like, that's insane. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah, that second half, like on the one hand, was like, okay, yep, everything here I know and agree with mm-hmm. and, and would have defended also. But just the in, the intensity and the necessity, like why this matters yeah. and, the, and the cost to the human soul when it becomes toxic and disempowering and abusive, like Amita said, was, yeah, just like a gut punch. That's interesting that you talked about that complicity uh, in terms of like not allowing someone to share their full story. Cause certainly I think for me, the complicity was, um, was in the human trafficking comment when Amita and Paul were basically like a lot of the institutional religious machine is a human trafficking scheme. I was I was on the floor. Like at first, at first I was just kind of like, whoa, that's strong language guys. And then I was like, oh my God. It's not strong language. And so somebody messaged me uh, in response to 100 and was like, I'm listening. I'm loving it. I'm taking notes. I do not understand that comment at all. What, yeah. what did they mean by that? Mm-hmm. And, and so it kind of put me back into it. And I was like, you know, I mean, just just at the simplest level, just at the simplest level, it's and and you and I know this because we've spent decades of our life in this thing I know. that 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 we know has good that we know yeah. does bring good, but basically, whenever we come to see a human as what we can get out of them, it's trafficking. Yeah. Whenever, whenever, uh, and maybe sorry, maybe that's not specifically tracking trafficking. But whenever we devet, whenever we see the human for what we can get from them or what they can do from us, and that looks like uh, unpaid volunteers, that looks like abusing intern uh, responsibilities, making, oh yeah, interns vacuum my house when I'm not, like, all the way up to like paying your staff poorly, uh, treating them like garbage, just it, treating them like a resource to be extracted, mm-hmm. that is dehumanizing and devaluing and there's a, there's money involved and currency exchange yeah. uh i mean just like transactional exchange and so essentially and, and because it's then a system and it, it 
it perpetuates itself. Yeah. It is thus a human trafficking scheme. And then you start to add in our Bible schools and our ministry training centers where people come from abroad to learn from us and be a part of the cool thing. Right. And, uh, and then they get they kind of get suckered into the celebrity aspect of it and they hang around and they become interns and they serve for years. And eventually you say, huh, is this so, so, so different from how people get uh, put on addicted to drugs so that they have to stay around with their pimps and... Mm -hmm are suckered into this system where they can never leave and their body becomes commodified. Yeah. No, it's not, it's not so different. It's not so different. And that's where I felt complicit. That's where I was like, Oh man, I know that Ooh. towards the end of my employment, I was shifting out of that again. And, and I, I know I was seeing some of those things for what it was. Ooh. And I can remember conversations with people where I'm like, well, you're, you're a, a resource for my department right now. And so I need you to not be spending so much time in this. I, mean, I, I told someone to their face that they were a resource. Oh, I mean, it's a long last time ago, but nonetheless, yeah. nonetheless, I've been there. Ooh, gross. Yeah. And like the, I, I think it just makes me think of like the last two episodes have really made me think about my value for people hmm. and I think for a lot of my adult 18 plus life church and leadership and maximizing people's potential and language around that of personal development and developing someone just realizing the the level of oh i was being controlling right like i was trying to to create a uh like i was trying to put someone through a factory line totally yeah and i was like oh my gosh like i'm like i just i'm just so thankful that jesus is who he is and is forgiving <laughs> And has capacity for all of our mistakes because I'm just like, oh wow, like looking back, I can recognize, hey, I was only doing what I knew how to do. Mm, right. And in that moment, I saw nothing wrong with it. But but now that I know and now that I'm aware, I'm like, I have to do something with that. Like I can't play ignorant to the to to these to these feelings anymore and these memories anymore. And I think a part of, for me, like recognizing and some of the freedom, like the freedom that I'm getting from these the past two episodes of literally just being around me, just taking personal responsibility for my actions. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm, I've written down lists of names of people that I need to repent to and ask for forgiveness yeah. for, like for, for actions. But then I'm also like, all right, am I, like, what's my motive behind asking for forgiveness? <laughs> you know, like, am I just trying to like forgive and forget? Like, like that mentality, like the fact that forgive and forget is vocabulary at all, like a saying at all in the Christian world. Mm -hmm. Like once you forgive, you can't bring it back up. You can't use that against them. Like, like even that mentality of I'm like, okay, am I just trying to get forgiveness just to make myself feel better or Am I, do I genuinely care about yes. the victim in that moment? Totally. Right. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm definitely kind of thinking through this. I, Allison, I love the way Allison kind of summed it up where she was like, forgiveness is an internal process that has little to nothing yeah. to do with, with the perpetrator. That's what you do yes. for yourself to be free from the poison. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah. So, okay. So if that's true, if that's the case, then if I'm thinking of employees that I treated poorly, my upbringing says, go and apologize and ask for their forgiveness. Mm -hmm. But that's, that's giving me something. Yep. <laughs> that's all about me. Yep. And I, and so I think that, you, you know, even beyond the racial issue, 
though not not to remove that from the conversation but but that's i think you know where amita's amita's saying like forgiveness has been weaponized and of course yeah. she's talking about uh the 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 racial reality of that and and let's not deny that but i'm just thinking for myself um it it is a weapon and it is controlling and it mm-hmm. is it is like also shame inducing because mm-hmm. if I come to you, Chris, and I'm like, Hey, you know, I'm really sorry. While you lived with us, um, I got really annoyed at your hair in the shower. And I told everyone that you're a hairy monkey and I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. Would you please forgive me? Like there's a sense where I suppose, I think in the best case scenario, I'm trying to lay my power down and say like i was wrong and you have the power now to give me a gift that is entirely in your hands Mm -hmm. except it's also shame inducing because now i now like i get to make you a douchebag if you don't forgive me yeah because i'm now down here on my knees and i'm like i'm so sorry please forgive me Mm -hmm. right it's like turning up at like if your abuser turns up at your door that's not a safe thing to do. That's not good. Like, that's not, that's not okay. That like any of us would say that's not okay. Like yeah. if the person who's causing you pain turns up and is like, I'm so sorry, I want to make things right right now here at your door. Every mm-hmm. single person is like, that's way not kosher. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm kind of like, okay, so maybe I shouldn't be asking people for forgiveness. Maybe I should be taking a really deep, sober thought. Like Paul said, the arduous work. Yeah of reconciliation where I then put my weapons away mm-hmm. where I have to own all the ways that I have hurt you. Yeah. And I put them as Jerome said, far enough away from me that I cannot hurt you again. Yeah. And then I have to own up to it and sure say, I'm sorry, but maybe it's not, again, maybe it's not asking for forgiveness. Maybe it's, I, I want to make restitution. Mm-hmm. Not you have to give me, or or please, would you give me forgiveness? But like, can I, what can I give you some kind of restitution for what I've taken from you, for what I've robbed of you? Mm. Um, which is, is very intriguing because it's so different from the way we were brought up with forgiveness. Yeah, it's all about give someone a gift they don't deserve which is the internal work, but it's yeah. always, but it was always kind of phrased in the context of a two-way conversation with, with the person who hurt you that you will then go like, you know, I've forgiven you, which also gets weird where it's like, Oh, by the way, mm-hmm. I forgive you for this thing you did. If the other person doesn't know about it. Yeah. I think that's the piece of like, if the other person is oblivious and like, and I've just made a judgment against them. I'm like me acknowledging to their face in public and, and verbalizing out loud all the judgments I've made against them isn't a freeing conversation for them. No, no, of course not. And I was like, it's not at all. Now, what will change that is my action and my heart attitude towards that person. So the internal work I need to do with God and myself and asking God for forgiveness and asking God to give me a heart and the compassion and a love for that person and to understand them and like to work through it like I get to then treat that person differently mm-hmm. through the way God sees them, not the way I saw them. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, and so, yeah, just that whole like raising, like giving forgiveness as a gift that the other person does not deserve like that coming out. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's a hard one because I'm like, in the end, like recognizing even like my own, com- like where I've been complicit in this as well. Like I have to, to measure for myself, be like, I was doing the best I could. Yeah. Like in that moment, I was doing the best I could. Now it wasn't, it fell short and it was wrong. But in that moment, I was doing the best I could. And so there's a level of like grace that I have to allow myself to, 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 to feel as I am processing this or else I find it can be crippling. Yes. And then my, my natural thing would just be push it down, push it down, push it down. Mm-hmm. And then my, and I think part of the reason why I thrive in environments where the factory mindset 
goes is just because I have an addictive personality. Mm. I love that I can binge watch something and I can just go, 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 go. I go through these moments where I'm like, I see a bag of like Clementine oranges and I'm like, I'm going to eat every single orange until there's no more oranges in this house. <laughs> and I gorge myself in oranges and it is the most satisfying feeling in the world. And it's like, and it's, and so I recognize that about myself. I'm like, I have to stay, like, I can't gamble. <laughs> you must've been very restrained then when you lived with us. Cause I don't feel like you ever like ate your way through any of our food. No, I was, I, if I, if I wanted to binge, I would order stuff on Amazon. And keep it <laughs> so in your was, room. That was my own stuff. And a couple times, Emmy, she'd go in and she'd tell Maya that she's got chips and snacks. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, I laughed about it, but then internally I was like, oh, my shame cycle's kicking in. <laughs> I was like, a little girl's found my secret. <laughs> Yeah, but that's so interesting. Um, and and that's, okay, this, okay, so let's, let's get into this thing on part two, because um, the thing that I said about forgiveness, I missed the very first line, which maybe is part of it, but the th when Jesus is on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them, because mm -hmm. they don't know what they're doing. In my head, and the, and the way that I've been chewing over that, it's an internal, it's like an internal dialogue of God. Yeah. It's like, um, it's not, it's not something that we're necessarily participating in. It's like, it's like God has sent out um, a part of himself to, to uh, observe and, and participate in the human condition. And, and that part is now kind of in a sense returning to the father, which is language Jesus uses and is basically like giving a report and says, father, they're all doing the best they can. Mm -hmm. It is, it is a, it is a shit show down here, <laughs> but they are, but they are doing the best they can. Yeah. And having, having seen all of this for myself, in a, in, and participated, which is not to say that God doesn't know and that God didn't get it beforehand. That's, mm -hmm. that's not what I'm saying, but, but yeah. And this, the analogy falls apart. Like the metaphor is not perfect, but, but this is one of the things that I think is going on there is Jesus saying, um, we, we should just forgive them. Like we, we should do what, and, and if we're going to use like Allison's language, if we think about God being the one who has been offended or that God is the victim of our of injustices that we have committed against God, which is not, let's, let's just like, I don't think that's the the totality of what's going on here. Yeah. But, but let's just use that as one of the lenses we can look at. Mm -hmm. If God has been wronged because of our sinful disobedience, Jesus is saying to the father, then let's just do our work and, and release and release the toxicity of this. Let's say that they don't owe me anything else. That's what we're doing so that we are free of the, of the human abuser in a sense. Yeah. Um, so, let, so, so we've done our part now. Now Jesus also goes about the arduous process mm -hmm. of reconciling us to God, which is, what what does paul say you have to own what you've done and so so jesus now is like making confession on our behalf taking on our sin like it's mind-boggling to me and 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 doubly so because i just for the very first time read a bunch of stuff on the atonement regarding one of the things that jesus is doing on the cross is he's making a confession he's making a better confession than you or i could ever make and I had never heard that until like three weeks ago. Yeah. And so now I'm like, in this context of reconciliation, Christ, who's God and humanity, is owning what we've done. Mm -hmm. He can own it better than we ever can because we don't even know what it is that we lost, but he does. And, and he can make a confession in a way that we can't. And, and so that there is like this forgiveness reconciliation thing taking place at the cross, 
but but in many ways it's between god and god yeah and and so in my head that's important because we've so often been raised either that we have to work really hard to earn it mm-hmm. or jesus worked really hard to earn it which is like the five percent improvement but actually mm-hmm. just as bad because yeah. we're still never going to trust the father yeah you know, which is where which is where paul is touching on earlier right with like mm-hmm. as long as we're viewing god as like this this guy who has these requirements and and maybe who's gets it all out of his system by punishing his son that's not a god i'm gonna have anything to do with yeah so, so, so like that's all the stuff happening in my head when I make this comment on like, I think it's the, I think it's the trauma informed heart of scripture. That yeah. it's, it's God saying to God, they're doing the best they can, but they have no idea what they're doing. Let's just forgive them. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then let's like work to heal and restore them. So there's no punishment. There's, there's, there's no like pound of flesh. That's not a part of what's going on at the cross in my yeah. view. But when I dropped that comment, first of all, I goofed it linguistically and, you know, and talked about the sin nature when what I really meant to say was that like Jesus has taken our sin from us and he's now hanging on the cross, viewing God through the same sin lens that mm-hmm. we view God through. Right. So Jesus is experiencing what we experience, which is like the idea, the false reality that God is distant from us. Yeah, it's not true. God is always right here. He's never been distant but we often feel that God is distant. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus is de- dealing with all of that. What I said though, was sin nature. And so Paul then goes into, well, let's get rid of that word from our vocabulary. And I'm like, yes, yes. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it was interesting though. Like it wasn't like, yeah. It's like at the beginning when we started talking, being like, that was the safest place to, fumble words that's true yeah because then when jerome comes back like he said the same thing like that that was the trauma-informed heart of jesus on the cross when he said those words and so it was like yeah it was like you you could feel the love but then you could also feel the like because everything paul was saying was just out of his own personal experience again like he's just like all of a sudden turning it back on himself Mm. and i'm like oh and not in an egocentric way yeah but in a like painful yeah and that's just the bit that i'm just like this like like the groans that i make listening to the these past two episodes like (laughs) totally right like, like when when paul basically was like you know his very brief response like let's get rid of that let's be let's understand Mm -hmm. that we're that we're actually dung covered diamonds rather than the other way around yeah and Jerome says, excuse me, I don't know if you can hear my tummy grumbling. That's because nope. it's before noon and I haven't broken my fast yet. You know, when Jerome basically says, like, I had no shortage of people telling me I'm broken. And now he's talking about his body and his brain and his mm-hmm. migraines. And he's like, I had no shortage of evidence to tell me how messed up and broken I was. That was gut wrenching for me. Yeah. And then he's, he's like, all he wanted, he had an absolute lack of experience of what it would look like to become just a little more better. Right. <laughs> like just a little, not perfect, just a little, like, how can I live my life with just a little more healing? <laughs> you know, and I've, and I've got, and I've got people who, who respond to me in my teaching and my theology. And they say, we think that you're too much focused on the love of God. And you need to preach more about repentance. And I'm, and I'm trying to understand. Because I do want to listen. I don't want to just write everybody off. But I'm trying to understand. I'm like, does anybody, does anybody out here not have enough awareness or enough evidence of their brokenness? Maybe some, maybe some people are different to me. But I am surrounded daily, hourly, with evidence of my insufficiency. Yeah. I mean, I, I get pushed back on the book, right? You are enough. Everyone's like, you are not enough. You are Jesus. And I'm like, just bro. Like, just like, just I read get the book. I, I know. I know. <laughs> like, I know. 
it's yeah. meaningful to me because I don't feel enough. Mm-hmm. It's meaningful to me because God says you're my beloved and I struggle to believe it. So I'm like, yeah, do we need anybody else reminding us how busted up we are? I don't think we do. I mean, maybe, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe some people do, but, <laughs> but I don't, I know I don't. And Jerome's like, I don't, uh, you know, um, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, actually, actually, something too that that Jerome said that that has been uh, really big in my own head, but that I recognize is tricky in a conversation like this, because I mean, let's just say for even just in the context of stumbling, we don't all know each other yet, and so mm-hmm. when I say forgiveness, Amita has no way of knowing necessarily that I've done a bunch of the costly work to understand my complicitness in the way forgiveness has been weaponized by white people towards people of color that yeah. whenever you know we whenever we see a video of a of a black person of a black man forgiving their the white man who shot and murdered their brother all the white people are on Facebook are sharing that video. And we're all like, whoa, look at the power of forgiveness. Amazing. Meanwhile, many voices in the in the black community are saying, we we've got to stop, we've got to, we've got to change this conversation on black forgiveness. Because once again, what we're seeing is white people being let off the hook. Yeah. Right. You know, Jer- Jerome said, you know, uh, did I write it down here? But he's like, yeah, he's like, he's saying, you can't abdicate responsibility for yeah. what God has just opened your eyes to see. Yes. So, okay. So Amita doesn't know that I've done, done some of that work, partly because the way that I brought up the, the, the subject, I didn't, I didn't give it that nuance. Yeah. I, and so, so I've got to admit, I've got to admit for my part that maybe the work needs to go deeper in my own heart because if it had gone deeper, I might've been more delicate, right? I can mm-hmm. say to you, I already know that stuff. I can show you my receipts, but my language, the, had I been transformed deeper, my yeah. language would have flown, uh, f- flown from a place more, more genuine. So, so let's just own all of that. But, but one of the things that's fascinating to me too in this is that is the idea that um, there's like this Greek idea of freedom, that that evil is not a valid use of freedom. Hmm that you can't say I'm free to murder someone, not just because murder is illegal, but because murder is an invalid action. It's an invalid use of freedom. You only murder someone when you are blinded, trapped in a system subservient to a system of hatred and violence. Mm -hmm. Um, A free person is free to love. That that is where freedom and love intersect. Yeah, and so that's that's big in my personal value system. Um, but also, I was just thinking in like purely theological terms, and yeah. I and and which which again is is, I think it w- was humbling for me, and was it was another place of complicitness. To be like, how often do we as like white dudes sit around over a beer discussing theology in these like abstract terms that are removed mm-hmm. from the real world suffering yeah. of, of everybody, people of color, uh, people of chronic health pain issues and, and all of that. Um, it's, it's insane. Like, I think I, I would say that one of the benefits I think I've had that not many people have had is I lived with you every day for an entire year. Right. So I've been able to like, I see your actions day in, day out. Like I see you, I see your family. Like I, my door was three meters away from your door. <laughs> so there's a level of like, I, I, I know you guys, like I saw you guys, I saw your heart, I see your family culture, every, like, so there's a level of, I got to experience a version of you, which I'm aware that not many people have the honor of experiencing. <laughs> mm-hmm. But when you start talking about like, talking about things and abstract ideas and you remove the, the impact that those ideas have on people, 
Yeah. I'm like, that's that in itself. Like when Amita was, was sharing, like, is this a threat to my life or is a threat to my way of life? Like, and she was acknowledging that it was a threat to her life, to her livelihood. I did not see, like, I thought, like, I did not put her in that place. Like, oh, it's a threat. You're, to her you're thinking she's going to disarm herself and be like, yeah, yes. it's just a way of life issue. Dial yourself down, right? Yeah. And then she, she does it. it and she just dives into it. And like, yeah. even that saying, no, this is a threat to my life. And I was just like, when like rec- recognizing that, like what she said, forgiveness is a powerful, but a loaded word that is weaponized and used to oppress. <laughs> I was just like, forgiveness, uh, those in power continue to disenfranchise and they use forgiveness as a way to disenfranchise. I was like, oh, I am not listening to the stories of the people that have been affected by this. Mm. I'm, I'm still in theory. Mm. And it's easy to stay in theory yeah. in general terms. Like I remember when I was, when I was studying when I was studying in university and we're talking about the different types of theology and I vividly remember learning about liberation theology, but very quickly being like, Oh, I don't need to worry about that because I'm not based in South America. And it was one of those of America. Yeah. And I was just like, I was like, okay, I don't have to worry about this. And now looking back at it, like when I have these, like when I get reminded of things I've said or things I've done, I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, this is just like, I'm like, how did I, I didn't take time to listen to someone about the topic who's being affected by it. Yeah. And just recognizing the power of that. Like when, when Amita and Jerome both are talking about uh, their, their favorite, their favorite story in scripture and recognizing that she was marginalized for 13 years and then allowed to tell her whole story. Seriously. And she was saying that a man of power holding them at bay so that they can listen. Like Jesus is the man of power holding everyone at bay to listen to her whole story. I'm like, all right, so that needs to happen more. (laughs) I was like, all right, how do I put myself in like, my own personal reflections is how do I put myself in positions to hear people's whole story yeah, and not just trying to find the the phrase or the sentence or like the 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 coleman's condensed notes on it i'm like but actually listen to the whole story yeah and have time and space and be open to hearing it and having my heart open to to being empathetic towards them Mm. feeling what they're feeling yes even if it's just a tiny bit yes and knowing that i'm like okay this is bigger than just a theoretical theological term this has real life impact yeah and not knowing that yeah and then you just look at like when she was like she went to a lawyer to talk about like oh what type of crime was she talking about well it was it was a church was it, the, the, basically can we yeah. get this classified as human trafficking human trafficking and i was just like that's insane like because in one sense, not, like, not insane, crazy, like in terms of like, Chris is not insulting oh, me, yeah, <laughs> just yeah. making no, no, no. it clear. Like, yes. That's next level. <laughs> <laughs> that's next level. Like recognizing in my own mind, I'm like, oh, I can totally see why some churches have a cult around them following. Yeah. Like, to me, that makes sense. Yeah. But then to take it to that next level of that human trafficking element, yeah. I was like, 100%. Yes, absolutely. And I'm like, oh, wow. I need like... There's so much work I still have to do totally, and, mm. and being open to it yeah, and not shut down. Yeah. I've been ruminating on that, that story with the woman with the issue of blood it's, since I put the podcast out yesterday and, and had been editing and listening back through it again and the second part. And, um, you know, I've taught on that. Uh, and I've I've taught on a kids church and, and we did a really interesting, powerful kind of like uh, interactive play 
and and there's so many layers to that story obviously you know that in Jerome and they all tease different ones out right when that as Jerome pointed out this woman's not even named in the story you don't even get mm-hmm. her name whose name do we get Jairus why because he's a man and he's important uh and and we don't even get this woman's name until yeah. Jesus calls her daughter you know the only name that matters mm-hmm. but but this idea that that man that Jesus holds up the entire crowd and waits gives her not just the time of day right but like Mm -hmm. the space to tell her story which is not pleasant it's messy it's undignified yeah and he does so at cost to the rich powerful man jairus's daughter dies because of jesus's delay Mm -hmm. And I'm just thinking, okay, like I'm in church and I'm emceeing and somebody comes up and they have a weird anecdote and they want to tell me their weird story. And I'm just kind of like, well, thank you for sharing that. Go back and sit down. Mm -hmm. I'll call you up if the spirit leads me to. And I'm like, man, like you said earlier with the creating safe spaces, are we creating community? Are we fostering, which is just such a buzzword. I mean, it is a real thing, but are, are we creating space where disenfranchised people can tell their whole story, even at the cost of the rich and powerful, of the yeah. elites, of, of Jairus' daughter dying? Do we have enough room in our hearts and minds for someone to tell their story at cost to the rest of us? that that person could be made whole, that we could then still trust Jesus to do whatever he's going to do with the rest of us and Jairus's daughter and all the rest of the bits and pieces. I'm just like, you know, I said to a friend of mine had said to me once, you know, he, he was studying the Old Testament and he and he and he's just been amazed at the power of God. And God is so powerful in the Old Testament. And I remember thinking to myself, yes, that's true. Mm. But it's but it's only when we read the New Testament that we see how God uses his power. Mm-hmm. And when Jesus scandalizes God over and over again. Right. Like as Jerome said, this woman is in the act of committing a crime. Yeah. And and Jesus has nothing but love for her. Yeah. Nothing but acceptance and wholeness and healing. And I'm just like, oh man, we're scratching at the surface. Yeah. And I think that's where even my mind goes to. I don't think a church service is the place for that. Okay. In my mind, I was just like, I just go to, I'm like, I don't think putting, because I don't think you have the buy-in of everyone. Like not everyone is taking Mm. personal ownership and accountability, Mm. agreeing to be in that place to listen and have that conversation. Sure. Their expectation is to turn up and be entertained. Exactly. And I'm like, so I don't, that's where, that's the system, like that's where the system of church, Mm. I'm like, that's not a safe place right now. Yes, right, right, if right. The, if Good the point. agreement and the buy-in is there, then yes, 100%. But I was like, but a lot of this is personal, one-on-one, smaller group conversation where there's that buy-in and agreement to discover and learn and be open. And so mm-hmm. that's why it's so, that's why it's been so conflicting even for me, like trying to separate institutionalized church, the gathering on a Sunday. Mm versus Christianity and spirituality and my relationship with Christ. And those are those, they cross over and multiple levels and there's synergy there, but then there's clearly also areas where, where one is a safer environment than the other, depending on the topics or conversations that you're having. So it's not to say that like church has to change to be inclusive, to, to hear the whole story all the time in every setting. Because I don't think that's the way forward. I think we just pendulum swing to another to another extreme. Mm. But it makes me just question. I'm like, okay, so what is the safe space and environment to begin those discussions, and how do you do it? 
And I fundamentally believe that as Christians, we should be at the forefront of having those conversations. We should be the ones driving this rather than others driving it. Yeah, and not because of like some elitism, but just like if there's anybody who should be modeling this yeah. costly love, yes, it, sh- it we right like <laughs> the people who follow Jesus, <laughs> right? Not be- yeah. Oh man, it's it's a bad indictment on us all. Yeah, but it, it just makes me like it makes me like it just makes me think of like not just to crap on institutionalized church and just like call it out. Um but also recognizing that that has a purpose and a value and brings life and healing on so many other levels that it has been beneficial for so many people's lives and impacted so many people's lives. But I'm like, but then how can I take a step forward in, in, in that fullness of love, like in being able to love that way Yeah. to to create a space like what can I do just because of recognizing my own privilege of like my the life that I've like I feel very lucky for the life that I've lived yeah and I feel very like yeah I just feel like I've, I've been blessed by having my mom and my dad having my brother having my family being there like I feel so lucky for the life that I've been able to have and being able to live but at the same time recognizing just like, that's not everyone's context. No. And I have to be mindful and cognizant of that or else I just treat everyone through my lens and my filter and don't take that next step. Totally. And even with the, the good things that the fruit in your, the positive fruit in your life and the positive fruit in my life, we also, each of us have had, some really complicated entanglements to have to heal from and church trauma and pastor's kid trauma and all these bits and pieces. So there's, there's so much there. Well, my friend, I know we're up against the clock. Thank you for joining me for this first ever B-side. Uh, friends, Chris will be here, I think, semi-regularly. There's, I've got a few different friends that will be leaning on to, to do these B-sides. Um but yeah, super pumped that, that we got to do this. And thank you. I love your insights and very helpful to for me to too, just keep chewing on this stuff. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Honestly, it's like I grow from having the conversations after listening to it. Mm. So hopefully others listening to this, you can grow as well. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Thanks, Chris. That was super fun. I want to give a big shout out to all of my new Patreon supporters. I've had eight new patrons come on in the last couple of weeks. I want to give a huge shout out to Aogu, Anthony, Amida, Angela, Jason, Connie, Louise, and Darlene. Your support means so much to me. And as uh, many of you will have noticed and heard, right now I'm looking to get up to 70 patrons. I'm at 61 right now, so I only need nine more. And when I get to 70, then I can start releasing transcribed audio of each podcast episode. It's something I've wanted to do for a long time, both for the hearing impaired and for folks who maybe English isn't their first language and they just, it helps to be able to follow along with text. Sometimes we we move pretty fast through our podcasts. And so people have been asking if they could get the transcribed text to follow along. And so it's something I want to do. It is time consuming and it also has a cost associated with it. I found a way to do it and I need a bit more support. If I can get to 70 patrons, then I can certainly do it. So I'm almost there. I've got had eight new people come on. I'm at 61. I need nine new supporters. So if you think that you'd like to contribute towards that, it would be a blessing to me and it'd be a blessing to listeners and future listeners of this show. You can go to Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Jonathan Puddle. You'll also find it linked in the show notes, of course, and in all my social media. Uh, speaking of social media, you can find me at Jonathan Puddle on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and I love to connect. I'm very present and uh, would love to answer questions or hang out and chat with you all. So go find me online. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to catch the next podcast B-side, make sure to join me on Patreon so you can access this and all my other exclusive supporter-only content. 
Much love to you all. Grace and peace.